Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. We're kicking off season six, covering what I believe to be one of the absolutely most important elements of dating and of life in general, actually. Hope. I get questions about hope a lot. People ask me, how can I remain hopeful when the dating scene is so bleak? How can I maintain a hopeful attitude after so much heartbreak? How can I hold on to hope when all the good ones are clearly taken? Maintaining a happy, hopeful, positive attitude when you've been dating for a long time and way longer than you expected or wanted to be dating isn't easy at all. And many people just give up. The effort to stay hopeful feels too painful in and of itself. They feel like, I'm just exhausted. And it hurts way too much to keep holding on to hope that I'll ever meet my person. Getting my hopes up and then having them dashed time and time again is excruciatingly painful. It'll just be easier if I just give up. As you know, I have been there and I've felt that. And over my 27 years of dating, there were definitely times when I thought it would just be so much easier give up hope, and just resign myself. Just be happy with everything else going on in your life, Karen. Just be thankful for your friends and your family and your work and so many great things in life. And just give up on this hope of meeting your person. And yes, as we've talked about on the podcast many times, gratitude is important, absolutely, in life in general, and certainly when we are struggling With a dating landscape that doesn't look too promising and heartache after heartache, we absolutely lean into gratitude and it's effective, it's powerful, it's important. At the same time, leaning into gratitude for what is going well in our life doesn't mean we have to resign ourselves to never having that which we're hoping for. As with so many things in life, there's a tension there and we try to find that balance the balance between loving and being grateful for the life that is, being present, being mindful, and at the same time, maintaining hope for those dreams that haven't yet materialized, still believing that they're possible and keeping that spark of hope alive. And as I mentioned earlier, I definitely know what it feels like to be on the brink of thinking it just might be easier to give up hope. And all those years of dating, started at 15, didn't get married until I was 42. There were times when I thought, I can't get excited about another first date. I cannot. (laughs) I've been excited before. And every single time, the relationship doesn't work. I mean, history had shown me one thing for sure. When I started dating someone, eventually it would definitely end. But I never did give up hope. 
And certainly once I called off my wedding, I knew that if I was willing to let go of a good enough relationship, then that must mean my, my actions were showing me what I was believing and what I was about. Being willing to give up a good enough relationship showed me that I deeply, deeply believed that an extraordinary relationship existed. And if it didn't ever materialize, I was going to be okay living my extraordinary life solo. I would make it extraordinary. I would make it beautiful. I would make it something wonderful. And it would be authentic because I hadn't settled for something that didn't light me up, that didn't excite me, that would have been just good enough. And as you know, I'm encouraging us all to thrive in love and life and to strive for something way better than just good enough. So when I get those questions about how to stay hopeful despite years of loneliness and heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak, I hope sharing my journey will be supportive. And of course, I look to the psych research to see what science says about hope. Does it matter? Does it help? Or does it actually hurt? So let's take a quick look at the research, what science tells us about hope and its impact on our mental state and even physical state. And as we do so, I'll continue to weave in elements of my journey, how I try to remain happy, hopeful, and positive despite being out there in the trenches and having my heart kicked around, which I know is something that so many of you can relate to. A conversation on the science of hope after this. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns. We'll target limiting beliefs and thought patterns. We'll learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood. We'll identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals. And we'll together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. To delve more deeply into hope and the science behind it, I'm going to refer to two articles. The first one is called The Science of Hope, World-Renowned Psychologists Explain Its Power by Christopher D. Connors. Connors starts his article with a quote that I want to share with you, which is so powerful and so impactful. It's from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King says, We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Don't you love that? Yes, disappointments are a part of life. Yes, we must accept them. Yes, we must process and move through them. But MLK reminds us we do not need to let these disappointments rob us of hope. In fact, he encourages us to never lose infinite hope. Infinite hope. What a beautiful concept. Limitless, endless, ongoing. That's the level of hope we're encouraged to commit to. 
And you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's Dr. Martin Luther King, who clearly was an icon, clearly an extraordinary person. He was a pastor, so he had deep faith. So he had to preach about hope, right? But it turns out extraordinary people cling on to hope. And also science suggests we should do this as well. According to Jerome Groupman, who's the author of The Anatomy of Hope, medical studies indicate that hope can block patients' pain, their physical pain. Belief and expectations release endorphins, which then basically act as the body's natural morphine. So I'm thinking when I read something like that, if hope can alleviate physical pain, then we know it can soothe emotional pain. It's the same brain that's at work. I find that remarkable and encouraging that not only does hope help me have a positive attitude and belief and expectations for the future, but also the very effort to have hope will soothe my current pain. So in those moments when you feel like, is hope even doing anything? And as I noted earlier, sometimes it feels almost counterproductive, like, no, it hurts too much to hope. Remember, the brain science tells us otherwise. Activating hope releases endorphins that help us feel better physically, emotionally, so we can intentionally lean into hope knowing there's a physiological and emotional benefit. So talking about being intentional about hope leads me to the next article I want to share with you, and it's called Eight Science-Backed Ways to Increase Your Hope by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And there are six that I think are really applicable to love in particular. Dr. Hardy stresses that hope is active. It's intentional. It takes action. And we therefore can implement practices and techniques in our lives to elevate hope and therefore feel, as we talked about earlier, feel the physiological and psychological benefits which translate to being more positive and optimistic in love and life. So let's look at the first science-backed way to increase your hope. Number one, look back on past wins. Dr. Hardy cites a study from the Journal of Positive Psychology in which participants were asked to write, and I quote here, about past experiences in which something they hoped for was eventually realized. After doing this, their happiness and hope for the future increased, end quote. Remembering those times when we felt this same struggle with hope, when we felt hopeless, and hearkening back and going, wait, there was that time when I didn't think this was going to happen, and then it did. Just remembering that in and of itself can elevate our mood, elevate our hopefulness, elevate our positive mindset. Now, you may be saying, like I was talking about earlier, that when it comes to dating, no, it hasn't worked out yet. So I don't have any memories of great dating relationships that then moved to marriage and I lived happily ever after. But here's where I think we can implement the strategy. Think about the things you hope for in a relationship. Think about the times you've had elements of those in your past relationships, because you have. If you want someone warm and nurturing and caring, even if that last boyfriend and you didn't make it, I'm sure there were moments that were kind and supportive and loving. So you have hoped for that in the past and you have found it. 
you have. And just because it didn't go the distance doesn't mean that you won't find it again. Clearly, history shows you that you found it and you will find it again. You can believe that. You can lean into that hope. And another thing that I think will help with all this, I know over the years, I remember one boyfriend in college in particular, my second boyfriend in college, when we broke up and we were on again, off again for a long time and it was really painful, I really believed he was the love of my life. I was convinced that because I was the one who broke us off initially and I was the one who just wasn't ready and I had my own individuation process I was going through and all sorts of things that I was dealing with on the personal level that impacted our relationship. And I emerged from that after years of on again, off again, feeling very guilty that I had sabotaged this relationship. I'd messed things up. And for a long time, like I said, I thought he was the love of my life and I would never feel that kind of love again. And I lost hope. But one thing that finally helped me, and it kind of relates to this tactic right here that Dr. Hardy talks about, I started remembering that I must be capable of creating a relationship that had those elements that I desire because I was part of it before. And no, it didn't last. But instead of giving him all the credit, like, oh, I messed it up with the love of my life. I'll never find that again. Give myself a little credit to the point that I thought, wait a minute, I was half of that really great relationship that I believe was so incredible. And I'm still here. I'm still here with all this love and support and belief in a great relationship to give to the next one. So instead of giving him all the credit, I gave myself a little credit and began then to believe that the possibility for an exceptional relationship still existed because I was still here with all this love to give. And since I hoped for it before and I had it before, it's reasonable to believe I can have it again. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my Love Smarter, Not Harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. The second science-based approach for elevating hope is to pray or meditate. Dr. Harvey personally surveyed over 3,000 people asking them, what do you do or what gives you hope when things start to look bleak? And the number one answer was prayer. He goes on to share that research finds prayer increases hope, optimism, self-esteem, and adaptability during challenges. Dr. Hardy also cites other studies that show that prayer increases relationship satisfaction and happiness, and it decreases depression and health problems. On Instagram, I shared a post a while ago, and it really resonated with a lot of you, where I shared this mantra that came to me during one of the, well, the worst breakup of my life with Dylan. This was not my ex-fiance, by the way. This was after that. And I was so devastated after two years of dating and It's a story for another time, but I was now 36 and single again. And Dylan was the one who was really coming my way. And by the end of the relationship, I was ready to meet him. (laughs) And he took off and moved to New York and left Chicago and left me. And I was crushed. 36 now. I thought this was the one. (laughs) 
And it wasn't, he wasn't. And I remember crying, I'll, I'll never forget it. I was, it was just so, so painful. I was in my apartment on my couch, just sobbing. And I was on my back looking at the ceiling. I remember kind of reaching up to God, like, God, really? Again? I can't, no, no, I can't. I don't think I can take another heartbreak. I really don't. And these words came to me. My God loves me and wants what's best for me. My God loves me and wants what's best for me. My God loves me and wants what's best for me. I don't normally, like if I was praying, I'd normally say, hey, dear God, this and that. But to say it, my God loves me and wants what's best for me, it's not a way that I would normally frame something, just the wording. I'm not saying that God directly spoke to me. I would not be <laughs> that audacious to say that. But I like that it came to me in a different phrasing because it helped me kind of see it differently. You know, the words that we use all the time maybe can lose their meaning sometimes. But saying, my God loves me and wants what's best for me. It just comforted me in that moment. Was I still sobbing? Yes. Was I still brokenhearted? Yes. Did it take me still years to get over him? Yes and yes. But I always clung to that mantra and I cling to it today when I still need hope for other aspects of my life, even though I've met my person and I married the true love of my life much later in life than I expected. But I still cling to that. My God loves me and wants what's best for me. When things are going in a direction that I didn't want, when things are playing out in a way that I didn't plan and feel out of my control, I lean into that knowledge, that faith that I don't have full clarity. None of us has full clarity in our lives. And if we can lean into faith, if we can pray, the science supports that that is helpful for our hope. And I know from personal experience, it has helped me navigate those very choppy and painful waters. When I shared that on Instagram, some people commented, I want that mantra. And of course, I said, take it. <laughs> if that feels helpful, take that mantra. Have that phrase that you tell yourself when you're feeling hopeless, when you're doubting that anyone cares, that this universe is so vast and so empty and cling on to prayer, cling on to a mantra of hope and belief that there is a bigger picture. There is a smarter, wiser God out there who loves you deeply and knows what's best for you and wants what's best for you. Science-based strategy for hope number three, look for a third door. So I wasn't familiar with this third door concept, but according to Dr. Hardy, there's a book by Alex Banian, if I'm saying that name correctly, and it's called The Third Door. And the author describes success like a nightclub, and I'm quoting here. There's the first door, the main entrance, where 99% of people wait in line hoping to get in. The second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and celebrities slip through. But what no one tells you is that there is always, always the third door. It's the entrance where you have to jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, sneak through the kitchen. There is always a way. Dr. Hardy goes on to say that research finds a correlation between hope and creative thinking. 
So another benefit of staying hopeful is we may get more creative in our dating journey and our love journey, which I did in order to meet Dan. I talk about this in my book and on the podcast all the time. I tried all the things that everyone tries. And then my dad sent me this article about a dating service. And at first I thought, oh man, that what? A dating service? Isn't that what people do when they really have a hard time meeting someone? And then I thought, look in the mirror, Karen, you're having a hard time meeting someone. So many of us find lots of people, but we don't find people who we really align with in terms of our values. And we've talked about on the podcast how important that is. So I tried something different after all those years. I tried a dating service. For more on that story, check out episode 46 of the podcast called Tired of Dating Apps? Try It's Just Lunch, interview with CEO Melissa Brown. Dan and I share our experience with It's Just Lunch, and I know that that seems like a big investment, and sometimes people really resist that, and I get it, but at the same time, can you put a price tag on meeting your person? I mean, sometimes I think about, what if I'd never done that? I would never have met Dan. There's no way. We lived in different states. I was in Chicago in the city. He was in Northwest Indiana. There was no way we would have ever crossed paths. So just something to consider. And as it relates to hope, I joined the service two times. I didn't meet Dan until the second time. So I went on a lot of dates with It's Just Lunch before I met Dan. But by virtue of being part of the program, it elevated my hope. Because I was always meeting people who I never would have encountered otherwise. And they were people who were professionals. They were busy too. That's why they used the service. It's because they didn't have time to be swiping and scrolling. They wanted someone else to do some of the busy work to allow the connection to happen. So just by being part of the program, my hope was elevated. And like I said, it took me a long time and two memberships with the program before I met Dan. But throughout that time, I kept meeting men who wanted what I wanted. They wanted enough to put some money on the line to get it. They wanted commitment. They wanted a true partnership. So even though the first 20 to 30 dates, and I think there probably were that many when I was with the program, even though those guys weren't my guy, I still was able to see that men were out there. And it helped me realize that no, The good ones aren't all taken. There are quality men out there looking for love. And that in and of itself helped me remain hopeful. Number four, science-based strategy for hope. Filter your input. Dr. Hardy, of course, mentioned social media, which we've talked about on this program when I've cited the study from the University of Houston, which looks at why we become more depressed and anxious the more time we spend on social media. And the variable at work is the comparisons. We know we do this. We compare our life with someone else's life. And as we've talked about, it's almost impossible for us not to compare ourselves when we're scrolling through our social media feeds. And whether we think we're doing better than someone else or worse than someone else, the comparison is at work and it is related to feeling more depressed and feeling more anxious. We have to be very careful with our social media input. And Dr. Hardy speaks to this as well in the article but we can use social media for good. Follow accounts that you can hold up as an exemplar of this can happen for me. They can fuel your hope. For example, Treva Brandon Scharf. She didn't meet her husband until she was 50. 
She's known as the late blooming bride, and she appeared on the podcast in episode 32 called You Can't Hurry Love. Treva and I do lives periodically about dating hot takes, and we share all that we learned over those many years of ups and downs in the dating scene. So when you find someone whose story can provide you with more hope, follow those accounts, accounts that are making you feel bad, lose them. As Dr. Hardy says, filter your input. He also notes that research finds humor is related to hope. So find some ways to laugh even in the midst of sadness and pain. It's a powerful tool for positivity. And I can tell you that when Treva and I get together and do our lives, there are lots of laughs. So be sure to join us for those dating hot takes. Number five, frame failure as feedback. Dr. Hardy reminds us that if we lose hope, we're adhering to what Dr. Carol Dweck calls a fixed mindset. And I talk about mindset stuff a lot. When I read that book, Mindset, it was a complete paradigm shift for me. It goes into developmental psychology, the way that we praise children. There's a lot to Dweck's theory, obviously, but in essence, it's the idea of how we understand our own abilities and potential. Many of us see our abilities as fixed. I'm either good or bad at this or that. I'm good at math. I'm bad at math. I'm good at singing. I'm bad at singing. Whereas Dweck emphasizes the power, and she has tons of research in the book, I highly recommend it, called Mindset, the power of seeing our abilities and our capabilities from a growth mindset perspective, meaning there's always room for improvement and therefore hope. This obviously is perfect for dating because we see our failures or our disappointments with past relationships as information that lets us make better choices in terms of partners in the future. No relationship is ever wasted because it's a learning opportunity. And yes, I've been there where I'm like, I can't learn anything else. I can't, I've learned all I can possibly learn about relationships. But if we frame the heartbreak as a learning opportunity, it allows us to move forward more hopeful because we know we're now better equipped to pick someone who's going to be a good fit for us. Instead of saying to ourselves with a fixed mindset, oh, the reason I've had all this heartbreak in my past, the reason everything hasn't worked out before is because I don't do well in relationships. I can't do relationships. Do you hear how fixed that is? It's a quality about you. It's chronic. It's immutable. It's fixed. As opposed to, I've been through a lot. I've learned a lot. And because of all that learning I've done, I'm wiser, I'm more emotionally mature because I've learned from the school of hard knocks and I am now better prepared to know what works for me and what doesn't. So all of those disappointments, all of those painful, painful moments and seasons are working for me, not against me. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. 
check out all the Perfectors applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. And the final science-based approach to elevate our hope that we'll discuss today is to instill hope in others. Psychologist Dasher Keltner explains that our brains are wired for connection to others such that when we encourage someone else, instilling hope in him or her, we experience a boost in our mood that's as strong as that which we feel when we are hopeful ourselves. Which is why, and I talk about this in my book too, we need our people. We need others who are clinging to hope, who are doing their best to remain happy, hopeful, and positive. We cannot surround ourselves with Debbie Downers, with women who are becoming bitter and jaded and angry and hating men That will not help us. We need to encourage one another, lift each other up. And in doing so, we help our friends. And we also experience, according to this research, we experience those positive benefits on our own mental state and emotional state as well. Of course, group therapy comes to mind. And there's so much great research on the power of groups to address all kinds of issues and pain and trauma when we're around others who are like-minded and have walked through some similar paths that we've walked. There are so many benefits and that actually deserves its own podcast. But if anyone's looking for group support, I have rolled out a group and I'm rolling out another one in the next couple of weeks for anyone who wants to connect with other women who are just trying their best to level up in love and life despite being alone for a long time or despite feeling isolated or feeling heartbroken. But yeah, so anyone who's interested in joining me, I'm going to roll out one more group. Space will be limited. I want to keep these to five people plus me. When we're Zooming, that's enough on a screen. And also we go about 90 minutes to two hours. And I find that we go over a lot because to give everyone enough time to feel like they're really able to share what's on their heart, that's the number that I think works best for a virtual support group. If you're interested, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com. Click on the work with me tab and you'll find some more information. And also sign up for my email list because I'll be sending out a newsletter with the latest info on this next group that's going to be starting very shortly. So there you have it. Some science-based, tangible, intentional, active strategies we can implement into our lives to elevate our hopefulness. And my hope is this information will be encouraging and empowering for you. The love and life hack for this week is another quote from the first article I referred to earlier in the program. It's from Elizabeth Gilbert. And it's so on brand for love and life. And it integrates hope and taking charge of our thoughts, of course. Quote, You need to learn how to select your thoughts just the same way you select your clothes every day. This is a power you can cultivate. If you want to control things in your life so bad, work on the mind. That's the only thing you should be trying to control. End quote. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. 
Thank you as always for joining me. I am so excited for season six. We've got some great episodes lined up. Great psychologists to help us level up in love and life. All kinds of science-based facts and data, all the psych nerd stuff. It means so much to me that you give me a portion of your day and that you are part of my community. I truly appreciate it. If you have 30 seconds to do me a huge favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, you can just write like two sentences. A review of the podcast really helps others find us and join the Love and Life family. And it means so much to me. If you have 30 seconds and can do that, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.